Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the Rhythms Podcast, where our desire and hope is to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, to look at practices and disciplines and spaces that cultivate a Christ-like heart that form us and shape us in the transformative presence of God. I'm very excited because today uh, I will be having a conversation with a very dear friend of mine. Uh, Her name is Dana Carr. Dana is an urban ministry leader that is based in Greensboro, North Carolina. And for 15 years, she has been engaged in Christian community development efforts in an under-resourced community. She has led multi-ethnic youth ministry programs, helped to launch a neighborhood-based private school that is incredible, by the way, and currently leads a residency program for college students and young adults seeking to integrate faith and justice, and it is called the Greensboro Urban Project. Dana is a staff missionary within Faith, a domestic missions agency. She is also a graduate of Azusa Pacific Seminary with a master's in transformational urban leadership. She has become a dear friend to both Jordan and I and our community, and today we get a chance to have a conversation on the rhythm of lament, what it looks like to practice grieving as followers of the way of Jesus. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with my dear friend, Dana Carr. Well, Dana, it certainly is an honor and a privilege to have you join us. Um, We have been friends now for quite a while uh, since Jordan and I moved to Greensboro and kind of heard your story, what God's doing in and through you, uh, specifically in the Glenwood neighborhood, and um, just that legacy, really, that you're building for others as well, and to see your own ministry now multiply itself, others being involved and engaged in similar ministry. So um, I'm really thankful that you could uh, take the time uh, this afternoon to hang out with us on the Rhythms Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a joy to be here. Dana and I are going to be exploring a conversation and a practice and a rhythm that if we're honest, we just don't hear talked about a whole lot, um, especially in today's world and climate. Although we experience it, we don't talk about it. Um, and that is That's the right. rhythm and the practice of lamenting. Um, and for some, you're thinking, why are we talking about lamenting? But the fact of the matter is, lamenting is a practice and a rhythm and a reality that we see all through the scriptures, um, going all the way back to the Old Testament. You have an entire book dedicated towards lamenting. It's called Lamentations. Uh, and the reality that uh, some would argue 25 to 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, of grieving. And even in the New Testament, you see Jesus himself, you know, Christ the King, who's on the cross, who's lamenting, or in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's lamenting, he's grieving. And so we feel like in this time and season uh, where um, many are facing um, different types of 
emotional unrest or mental instability or grieving or frustrations or injustice or um, loss, <laughs> that this is an important conversation that I think can really anchor us in the way of Jesus as um, as a as much of a paradox as that sounds, I think this is a really beautiful opportunity for us. And um, Dana is someone who we've talked a ton about lamenting, and so I'm really excited to have you. And uh, I would love just to kind of to, for people who don't have a idea or a framework for a, an understanding of l- lamenting, can you just speak to what what is lamenting? What does it mean to lament? Yeah, lament is such an important practice, and it's something that we do. We don't often know that that's what it's called, um, but I think often we're uncomfortable with it as well because we've been pumped full of this idea of we have to be joyous and happy all the time. Um, we land on celebration all the time. So when you mentioned that the Psalms are, are 20 to 40 percent Psalms of lament, there was an interesting study done several years ago. Soong Chan Ra um, really championed this work looking at how many of our worship songs are lament, right? So if we're matching those, and it was a fraction, um, and, I, and I'll, I will not get the percentage right, but it was less than 10%, I believe, of the songs that we tend to sing on Sunday mornings are songs of lament. And yet the reality is that in our personal lives, we experience tragedy. Mm-hmm. and we experience grief and we experience sadness mm-hmm. also as a community and as a culture we experience tragedy and grief and sadness and so we have this great model for what it looks like in lamentations in the psalms throughout scripture of what it looks like to bring that grief to the lord and yet we don't always practice that super well on sunday morning but to get to the question of what what lament is and what it looks like Ann Boskamp talks about lament, and she says, lament is a cry of belief in a good God, a God who has his ear to our hearts, a God who transfigures the ugly into beauty. Mm. Similarly, Sun Chan comments, lament, in, lament is honesty before God and each other. If something has been truly declared dead, there is no use in sugarcoating that reality. To hide from suffering and death would be an act of denial. If an individual would deny the reality of death during a funeral, friends would justifiably express concern over the mental health of that individual. Mm. In the same way, should we not be concerned over a church that lives in denial over the reality of death in our midst? Now, Sun Chan Rai, that's from his book, Prophetic Lament, so he very much takes a prophetic bent. And I do think that there's, there's a call to, our, to the churches to be present, but I think there's also a call to ourselves. And so when I think about lament, it's really the ability, the ability to express honestly our feelings to God, mm. whether those are neatly packaged or total chaos. Sure. <laughs> there are sure. going to be events in our lives that happen that all that comes out is a mess. And lament is the expression of that, knowing that God is big enough and welcoming enough to take all of our grief and pain and sorrow. And, and that not only is he enough to handle it, but he's going to do something about it. That's so good. And you, know, you mentioned the, um, <laughs> the, the worship songs in our 
modern day church services, I have seen that out of the CCLI top 150 worship songs sung, I think zero are songs of lament. I think there are actually no songs of lament or grieving. Um, and you're right. We, we live in a moment, in a society, in a time where, and maybe it's a cultural you know, dynamic that has shaped us in the West that we um, avoid pain and suffering. We go around it. We escape it. We separate ourselves from it. We deny it. We distract ourselves. Um, and we just don't go through it. And something that I've been just liberated by um, in talking to my therapist and counselor, which I would encourage anybody listening to take some time to be in therapy, find a good counselor that you can um, allow to help guide you in these, these, these very um, challenging waters. Um, but he, he talks about confession. Best investment I've ever made in my life. I will second that. <laughs> then it, it, it is that. Too. And for many people, this is sidebar, but for many people, they look at counseling as something that is very expensive, but the fact of the matter is, yes, it is, but it's an investment into the soul uh, and into That's our own right. well-being. Um, but my, my, my counselor and therapist, he talks about confession as you know, giving all of ourselves to God, opening up the totality of ourself, the good, the bad, mm -hmm. the ugly. And if anything, what I love about um, Jesus' postures, he welcomes it. You know, um, one of the, you know, well-known phrases of Jesus is, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and heavy laden. That to me sounds like lament. That's grieving. Come to me and I will give That's you right. rest. Um, let alone the fact that um, in the Christian tradition, God becomes flesh and enters into the grief and suffering. And so he's not indifferent to our lamenting. He's not indifferent to our suffering and pain or grieving. He actually enters in out of love and out of mercy and grace. And so if anything, he has experienced the same types of suffering that we do, the greatest being the tragedy of death itself. Um, I love this quote from Henry Now, and you were quoting from Su Chan Ra's book, um, Prophetic Lament. That's a resource for you guys. Um, but Henry Nowen, who's a, a great mystic psychologist from the mid 20th century, um, he says, I am beginning to see that much of praying is grieving. And I just think that's a really beautiful line there mm -hmm. from a, uh, an excellent writer there, uh, Henry Nowen. Um, so we kind of have an idea of, of lamenting that it's this um, posture of grieving and really giving all of ourself pain, brokenness, sorrow, tragedy. Uh, it's giving all of ourselves to God. It's going through the valley, so to speak, with the Lord. He's with us. Um, so I'm curious, Dana, because one thing I've noticed in the Psalms, uh, specifically, I think of Psalm 22. It's when I, I came to in kind of preparing for our time together. Um, in Psalm 22, you have, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, we know Jesus quotes this Psalm on the cross. Um, and the, the psalmist goes on, David specifically, um, why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And so David's being incredibly honest and transparent with God. And that's, that's the nature of union and relationship and fellowship. But what's so beautiful mm -hmm. is at the very end of it and throughout the psalm, um, there seems to be a thread of hope that David presents. And in the last verse of Psalm 22, he says in verse 31, they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. And I just see over and over again, 
even in the Psalms of lament, the commitment to praise, you know, yet I will still praise, you know, you are on the throne, you are God, I am in anguish, and I'm angry or frustrated, yet you are God. So Dana, could you just speak to that a little bit? What do you think about the relationship between lamenting and hope? What, what about that dynamic strikes you? Yeah, so I think a few things. One is that when our lament is directed to God, as believers, we're raising that lament to the Lord versus we're just casting it out into the abyss, right? Sure. <laughs> when yeah. you're lamenting to nothing, there's nothing in response. Mm, but so when good. we believe and trust in a good God, then we trust that he hears it. And so to me, lament is inherently hopeful when it's lament to the Lord, because we know that we're speaking and sharing to a, a person, so to speak, right? Sure, we're we're sure raising being, it yeah. to God who is, who is bigger than ourselves and more powerful than ourselves and more, and, and fully, it fully embodies love. And so when we're raising this lament to a God who loves us, with every ounce of his being, there's hope there, mm. right? And I, I do think, I think we can be quick to jump to hope. So I think about my family a couple years ago, um, my mom and my sister both lost everything to a hurricane down in mm. Florida. And that whole county that they were in was so rocked by the hurricane that when I hear that scripture of, of Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I feel like the people of Bay County may have cried out, God, why have you forsaken us? Because sure. you're, you're not talking just the folks on the coast. The entire county looked like a tornado had gone through. And it was tornado force winds through the whole county. And so there's this deep grief and, and significant loss that now two years later, there are parts of that county that look like the hurricane hit yesterday. Yeah. And yet there's hope for the folks who, uh, who are dealing with that. Now you've got my, you know, my sister reflects and says our lives here in North Carolina are so good and we may not have made it here otherwise. And that doesn't mean that she wishes it would happen again, but there's beauty from ashes. Mm -hmm. And we see that throughout scripture, that the Lord takes our brokenness and redeems it. He takes the hard places of our lives and our souls and can use that pain for the good of ourselves, for the good of others that we come in contact with, right? He doesn't let anything go to waste. And so while our stories may be really hard, there are parts of my childhood I would not choose to relive, right? right? People are quick to say, of course I would do that again. I'm quick to say, heck no, I would not <laughs> right. do that again. Yeah, let's redo However, it if we could. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm not grateful for what happened. However, I'm grateful for the witness that I have to other kids in similar scenarios. And so I, I think it's okay to be in both places. Some would say, no, you have to be grateful for everything because if God did it to you, then it must be what he wanted. Right. And I would say, you know, I think the world's broken. And God's intention is always for good. Mm -hmm. So God's in, intention is for good. Evil messes that up, but he's still here to redeem it, to hold us close, and to, and, and, and to use those stories to impact other people, to, to spread his love and, and show his caring. And so to me, that's all. I, I, I think the hope is a choice. 
right? I do believe that lament is inherently hopeful because we're raising it to the Lord, but we do have a choice in do we trust that hope? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that it's easy to trust. Yeah. We we have examples of that in the scripture too, of God, I believe, but help my unbelief. (laughs) Yeah. Right. This is, so for us to say, for, I mean, I think about, you think about the hard situations that happen in our churches and our communities every day, people losing spouses, people being assaulted, people losing their homes, losing jobs. We're in the midst of a, we're on the brink of an economicist right now. This is going to bring incredible lament. And so it's not asking anybody to say that those things don't matter, but do we trust the Lord that if we trust him, we do our best work, we do the best we can to stay on track. Do we trust that he's going to honor that? Yeah, I think that's such a great call to to say hope is a choice. Um, and even lamenting, because I think it's easy to say lamenting and complaining are synonymous. And, and I don't know that that's fully true. Um, I think sometimes complaining isn't... Um, total transparency. I think when we're talking about lamenting, we're talking about the totality of our being. When no one's looking, we're just like, I am beat up and I am mad. Mm -hmm. I'm frustrated. Um, But again, the the beautiful thing is that for one, Jesus promises trouble. You know, he says, uh, in this world, you will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And if we're honest, you know, we do live in a moment in society where there is such suffering and it has been since the beginning of time, you know, we aren't naive and (laughs) narcissistic to think that's not the case in all other moments, but 2020 has been a year. Uh, I've heard it said that we've gone from 1918 earlier in the year with the beginning of the coronavirus, referring back to the Spanish flu to then experiencing economic crisis, going back to the 1930s and the depression to then the civil unrest and racial injustice of 1968. And we're experiencing all these things in one year and there is just great trouble. And if our hope isn't in something eternal and it's only in the things of this world, then there's no wonder why people are freaking out. Um, but, right. I, but I do think it's powerful to recognize that our hope is driven by a future eternity and a reality that um, Jesus um, has taken on suffering and there's redemption. You talked about that a little bit. There's redemption and suffering that there's life that actually comes from death. And that's what we're that's right. to. So that's really, really good. Um, why do you feel like Dana, um, that this is an important rhythm? When we're talking about spiritual formation. Jesus calls us to practice his teachings, obviously lamenting all through the scriptures. Um, why do you feel like this is an important rhythm in our formation to Jesus? Yeah, I think we have to be true to ourselves. And so grief comes and we have to be honest with that and express it. When we bottle up our emotions, do another shout out to counseling here. (laughs) Yes. When we bottle up all those things that we feel, it's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for the people around us. So there is part of it is just being, being authentic with our own selves so that we are the healthiest and the best that we can be. And I think the year 2020 is a great example of that. There is so much going on mm-hmm. that if we are not honest with how we're feeling, we will make it, but we might not make it. Sure. <laughs> and so we do have to be, we have to be true to that. I, it, yeah. The other reason that it's a really important rhythm is that we live in community. 
And so when a hard event comes your way, who do you most often look to? Usually to friends and family, the people in your inner circle, mm-hmm. right? You might share with them and talk about what's going on and, and they may give you some advice. When we are living real authentic lives and we're sharing our hurt and we're walking through that hurt in community, then when other folks experience that pain, they're going to know, okay, it's realistic that I'm going to make it through this. And I've seen how my friend Spencer did this, mm-hmm. right? Spencer went through this incredibly hard time, but I can see God's faithfulness to him on the other side. Yes. And I also remember that he didn't always act like it was no big deal. Mm-hmm. What freedom that offers people to see us lament and cry before the Lord. And so we can look to scripture and see when Jesus comes and Lazarus is dead, what what is what does Jesus do? Oh yeah, yeah, he grieves. He weeps. Yeah. And he knew what the end result was. That was sure. no surprise to him. <laughs> right. And so part of me feels like when I think about that, I think, man, Jesus probably was weeping at the sight of Lazarus, because what a what a traumatic thing to come upon seeing a dear friend dead. And then also I think he wept because he saw Lazarus's community and how broken they were over his death. And so when we are faced with grief, we have to grieve. It's not normal not to. (laughs) It's not healthy not to. And so when we choose to engage in those emotions and make space for them, then we know that we've got the ability to work through it. So there's days that I feel kind of sad. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure why I feel sad. Yes. But I have learned that it's okay to just be sad for a little while and to say, Lord, I'm not really sure what the source of all of this is. I might have a few ideas, but I just need you to be present with me. Mm -hmm. Right? I've got my dog on one side and the Lord on the other. (laughs) And between the two of them, we make it through. And so I, I think there's something holy to that in recognizing that it's okay to not be okay mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And because we're not okay for a season doesn't mean that the Lord isn't faithful. He's faithful in those times. Yes. And yes. we see the fruit of that on the other side, certainly. Um, but when you're in that dark night of the soul, when mm. you're in maybe even the medium night of the soul. <laughs> yes. Which by <laughs> the way, that, that's a, that's a reference to everyone listening to St. John of the Cross. Um, kind of a medieval uh, contemplative monk. Go back and, and check it out. Some good stuff there, but just a quick reference. That's awesome. Go ahead. Yeah. So when we're in those spaces, I think we can recognize that the Lord is with us. Um, some of the, the most transformative work that I did in counseling was around an ex- exceptionally traumatic event that happened in my childhood. And we spent weeks replaying that event but picturing Jesus there. Yes. And what was really incredible was to see that when we started that practice, I saw Jesus as a spectator, mm-hmm. maybe 10, 20 yards out watching the incident happen. And by the end, um, I was sitting in his lap and he was holding me and protecting me. And it was, it was an entirely different experience. And it, it, And that's a picture of it, right? Is that I think we have the sense of God as this far distant being that watches our fortune or misfortune, but Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily here when the reality is that 
if we choose to be present to him, because he's always present to us. Right, right. Right. We pray sometimes and say, God, please be present to me. He's present. Yeah. Right. Spoiler alert. He's here. Yeah, he's here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to choose to make ourselves present to him and to welcome him in and to say, yes, Lord, I do want you to be in this space. And when we do that, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And it doesn't mean that whatever situation we're in is going to be solved tomorrow, but it, know, it means that we're not alone, that we have a hope, that we know that the only one capable of anything, honestly, yeah. <laughs> is in our corner. And so we can rest in that. And so I, th I think that's why it's such an important rhythm is that, and, and we need to be doing it constantly, right? So whether it's the small things that worry us or if it's a life catastrophic event, mm -hmm. if we practice lament in the small things, when the big things come, we'll have practiced it. That's yeah. going to be what we turn to. Yeah. Versus if we choose, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I don't need, I don't need to be sad. I don't need to worry about it. No stress. And all of a sudden a life altering event happens. We're not going to be sure where to go. Sure. Right. And so the, the practice is really important to say, because the reality is we all have disappointments. I would love to meet someone who's never been disappointed. <laughs> well, and the fact of the <laughs> matter is mm -hmm. our suffering and our grieving actually shows the reality of our humanity and That's that right. we aren't in as much control as we like to think that we are. Um, you know, I, I heard someone say earlier during the 2020 year that this season uh, hasn't so much um, gotten out of control. It's just shown us that we were never in control in the first place. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the basis of prayer even is to beg. And to beg is to show a posture of dependence. And suffering mm -hmm. and grieving exposes that dependence. And the Lord calls us in that to, um, to be with him. I just love that he is with us. And he, he doesn't say that life isn't going to be um, hard. It's going to be hard, challenging. It's a, it's a struggle. And that's why he's come to, to renew all things. But he says, I'm with you constantly. You read Joshua. I'm with you. I'm with you. And then after that, you see battle after battle after battle. But he is with us. And it's in his presence, I think we can find peace, which really is like the highest good to join with God in the present, but it does require an awareness on our end to be present and to enter into that pain. So many of us, either mm -hmm. we try to do it on our own um, yep. or we try to uh, kind of freeze and we just numb it and don't even acknowledge it. Um, but I think the call for us as we're talking is to enter into these spaces in community um, together um, and that's that's vital. Um, so if we if we look to the idea of implementation, just as a rhythm or practice, um, wh what might that look like in your mind? Yeah, and I want to speak to that for a moment, just because you mentioned community as well, and and maybe speak to those together. So a lot of the examples I've talked about has been about uh, personal tragedy and personal challenges, but lament is a community call as well. And a lot of folks these days are talking about unity and are talking about disunity. And some folks want to do the work that it takes to get there. And some folks don't, and we recognize that. <laughs> I think lament is an important tool in that though. When we grieve on behalf of our brothers and sisters who are hurting, when we are willing to enter into their pain 
when we're willing to listen and to honor their stories and to say, yes, I, I, I bear witness to what is happening. I bear witness to what you're experiencing and I grieve that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as an example that I don't think is political, <laughs> um, when the separation was happening at the border initially, I had a conversation with a friend and we land on different sides of that policy. Um, and, but we had this conversation and she was trying to understand why, um, just why it felt like such a big deal, you know? And as we talked, I said, you know, at the end of the day, when I imagine that child not having their parent and that parent not having their child, policy aside, right? There's a million ways that the government could come at this and do things differently. But at the end of the day, there are people hurting. That's the space we can enter into with holy lament. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to become political. It Mm -hmm. becomes about these families who are experiencing a deep trauma. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Well, well, and and in reality, it is the uh, politics of the kingdom um, that that we're manifesting, which is really to say how society should work and together, side by side. Um, and what we're saying, I think what Dana's saying is we're not only being present to our pain, our suffering, and God's presence in us, we're present to others' pain, others' suffering, and others' grieving. And we're present to that. And we're not going around it. We are entering into it with our brothers right. and sisters, especially um, those who are um, a part of the body of Christ, for one. I mean, that's we're a literal family in the kingdom, um, um, let alone others as well. But I think that is such a such a call to enter into others' pain and be present in the midst of that. Yeah, we're called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, and so that's what we get to do. And so implementation can look like a lot of different things. I think it certainly looks like creating space to be present to ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. How often are we so busy that we don't have time to think about how we're feeling, how we're doing, what the Lord is saying to us, right? We pray these three minute shower prayers (laughs) because I finally have a few quiet minutes. (laughs) And that's a lot different than saying, I'm going to take some time to really think through this. And so we all connect with the Lord in different ways. For some people, that's going to look like art. For some people, journaling makes sense. For some people, just thinking, just being able to sit in a chair or sit outside in nature and have space to reflect and to meditate on things. So to be able to think about maybe something that you've experienced or that a friend has experienced and really enter into that space of, of, praying, right? So limit ultimately is prayer. It's communication with God. Yes. And I've always told, I've, I've always worked with a lot of kids and I've always told the kids in the neighborhood, prayer is nothing fancy. It's just you and God having a conversation. That's it. So we hear prayer and then we hear prayer of lament and it's like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to say? Right, should I right. put the word for Satan there? Right. <laughs> well, it, should, it, it exposes our view of who God is as mm-hmm. if he's some far off um, ornate object that isn't relational, but by his very nature, he's relational in any relationship I've been in. I, I'm sure you would say the same thing. There has been struggle. There's been challenge. And when it's That's not right. brought up and there's not conversation that creates a, there is a hard heartedness that it, it, it fosters and creates a numbness 
Uh, and in some ways it's kind of the, it's the iceberg under the water, you know, that we don't always see. There's just a tip. Um, but the call is to go under the water and actually what is undergirding all of this um, that we see only a, a glimpse of on the surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think it can, depending on what the situations are, pra practicing this can look like conversations. It can look like an embrace of someone who is in grief, right? That we enter into their space and we just hug them and spend time crying together. Um, sometimes it, it, yeah, it looks like so many things. There's a great um, Instagram account, Black Liturgies, and there's a lot of prayers of lament. And it's a, it's a beautiful account. Very much encourage you to go look at that as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it can look different. Um, I've found for myself, I have a prayer notebook that I do a terrible job of keeping up with, but because of that, I've got many years worth of <laughs> many of years of lament. <laughs> but what's beautiful is I can look back and see times that were really hard. And now I look and say, wow, that was a hard season four years ago and, and look at the Lord's faithfulness. And so that's the other piece of this is as we practice and particularly if we have some way of documenting it, the beautiful thing is, and we see in scripture, this call to remember. And so as we remember the times that have been before that also wells up that hope in us because we see the Lord has been faithful through my life. He's going to be faithful again. Uh, but how are, are there some ways that you have found practicing lament to be helpful, Spencer? Yeah, I mean, I um, I have done some some therapeutic practices myself. This is kind of going into more of the um, the neurological side of things. Um, yeah, there's a practice called ERDM that is um, a, a really a way of rewiring neurologically uh, your brain because <laughs> right. sometimes our brain turns into like a chaotic storm of waves uh, and just needs <laughs> to be brought down to to calmness. Um, you know, guided imagery, you mentioned that earlier, just going back to traumatic events in our life and entering in those moments and, and reconfiguring the story in a redemptive way. Uh, I've done that in my own kind of therapeutic journey as well. Um, and historically throughout the church, lament is often connected, and Dana hit on this briefly, to creative expression, whether it's song or painting or um, journaling. There's something about engaging your entire body that addresses the pain. Um, and so those are just a few different examples, I think, that are, are practical, that are helpful. Um, but I just mm -hmm. want to kind of close out with this quote again, Sung Chan Ra, Prophetic Lament. Um, he says, lament challenges the church to acknowledge real suffering and plead with God for his intervention. Um, that is a call to, to beg and to pray and to plead all rooted in the reality that we are finite. God is infinite. He is sovereign. He is King. He's, he is Lord. And um, we root ourselves in that reality. So um, thank you guys so much for, for joining our conversation today um, with Dana Carr on the conversation around lament. And my hope and prayer for you is that you would enter into your pain and your suffering um, in a way that is rooted in the hope, the eternal hope that we have in Christ Jesus, whether it's in creative ways or it's in community, um, I would encourage you to begin practicing a rhythm of lament. Grace and peace to all of you and have a great week.